Okay, here we go, here we go. Just stop where you are, we'll pray, and then we'll get going, and then we'll, whatever comes, what comes. O Lord, Heavenly Father, who through your Son has revealed that heaven and earth will pass away, we beg you keep us steadfast in your word. Guard us from all sin. Preserve us from all temptations that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life, but at all times in watchfulness and prayer. We await the return of your Son and joyfully cherish the expectations of salvation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. I know everything is crazy. Uh, thanks to Carol Holter and to everybody who worked so hard at Joy Group. So I think the final number was 136 families, which is a really high yield because I think we were assigned 145 or 50. So that's a very good, it's a very, it was just a nice yield. A lot of people came and a lot of people worked hard. Thank you very much. It's, it's so much work, but it's so much good is done. So that's very, very nice. Thank you very much for that. Uh, next thing. Yes, thank you very much. Let's give money to Grace. So immediately, you know this if you've been around, immediately your attention switches from Christmas sharing to gifts for Grace. I'm sure that the... Is the bulletin board up? I'm guessing it is. Wednesday. Wednesday, the bulletin board will be up for Gifts for Grace. You know the deal. Grab a tag, and as you shop for other people, shop for Grace. Bring it back, drop it off, and there'll be pancakes at some point in your future for that, right? So come and do that. Um, remember that it's a short Advent season, so next week already is the last week in Advent. It's only two weeks till Christmas, right? So, And on the weekend of Christmas... We are going to observe a Christmas schedule, not a, not a Sunday schedule. So there's no Saturday service on the 23rd. On the 24th, there, it's Sunday, but there's no morning services. It's in the afternoon, just like we always have it, and then Monday. So we asked ourselves, you know, would you think of it as Christmas or would you think of it as Sunday? We guessed that you would think of it as Christmas, so we're going to have a Christmas schedule. If we had all those services, we'd be so thin. You know, we'd have 100 people at each one. It wouldn't be quite so much fun. So think about that, okay? I need uh, some folks to write for the bulletin. I've got about nine of them right now in my computer that were written by people that I just sort of said, hey, could you please write? And the Craigs did a great job this morning. Ted Kahn was fabulous last week. You sort of have the character of it now, and you begin to hear about where we're going. If you would like to write for the bulletin, really the only requirements are that it's under 250 words, that you let me edit it just a bit so that there's consistency and theme across the weeks, and that you get it into me. So it might seem like I, when I'm nine, it may seem like I have a lot, but I don't have a lot because we're already working out into the new year for bulletins and such. So I can get them, but if you are interested in writing, if you'd like to write, if you feel like that's your gift and you want to send me something now, just any sort of reflection on this notion of the extra plus the ordinary, you know, on what ordinary life is like living, uh, what, what, what it means to be extraordinary. Any, you, get the, you get the drill a little bit, or just managing your life in general, okay? Uh, it's been a very interesting start to the capital campaign, and it's, it's what's so interesting to me is how many people there are who just sort of get this now. I actually think uh, now you know, that I'm of a particular age where I can say this and it won't affect me that many more times, but I, I actually think a, a congregation should probably do this about every six or seven years like clockwork, even if next time you had no debt, and even if next time I'm not around for it, you should do it anyway, and you should do something like raise a few million dollars and fund the whole church in Siberia for a while. 
raise a few million dollars and you know start start a, a, a congregation in the city for we probably have 25 or 30 kids in the city who don't can't quite find an equivalent St. John place to go. So in some ways it's good because it just reminds you always of what you're about. And I think it's just helpful learning. Plus I was you know, shocked by how many, a third of the congregation has never been through one of these. We always think to ourselves, oh, it's all, you know, everybody's heard this. But really a third of the people have, a third of the families have not ever been through this. So it's a good thing. Now one of the things I'm observed, so a couple of little pitches. If you've been through it before especially, you know that we need people to write for the bulletin. Here's another thing. Some people have already just said, I'm in, here's my number, here's the money. Okay? So we already have some people who have given full blast, like everything they're going to give already this year. That's extraordinarily helpful for us. The pitch is about to come. Because what happens is, is John Crow goes over to the bank and we stop paying interest on the money that we deposit against our debt, right? It's just like paying your principal twice on your mortgage. So here, let me just make a pitch to you. This isn't any sort of arm twisting. This is just, if you've been through this before, if you completely understand it, if it's advantageous to you, especially in terms of tax law and stuff, if you know what you're going to do and you have the means since, um, you know, the stock market is up so much and everything is kind of working, uh, if you can can front load your gift and bring it before the 30th of December or the 31st, that's a huge advantage to us because... We're working away at the principle on that. So if that, if that works for you, think about it. I know it's kind of, that really is kind of an extraordinary thing, but it's kind of interesting to have people who just get it and just say, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, boom, and, and there it is. So John's been busy going over to the bank. It's been kind of nice. Um, so it's kind of a nice baseline for people who get it and then for other people who kind of learn it along, okay? Just questions about any of that? So think that through. If it works for you, if you can write or if you can give now, um, that's a good thing. Yes, sir. <laughs> for for the church, yeah, that it is a financial advantage. We're paying the principal down. Other than that, no, we have about three years left on our loan until we renegotiate, so we're fixed at four dot three for three more years. But in terms of the interest that it saves, when those are significant, yeah, it's a it's a big deal for us. So. Of course, like you, the tax law, who knows, right? I mean, no, nobody has any idea what the advantageousness will be or anything like that. So just kind of think that through. Um, last thing is, I just want to take, at the beginning of Bible studies, just until we sort of play this through, I just want to, so part of the thing is, is when I realized how many people hadn't been through this, and then we did this very quickly, and we're going to try to do it in a different way, which is, you know, we've spent as much as fifty or $60,000 when we've done this in the past, we're kind of trying to do it with no expense, right? We're no consultants, no fancy stuff. We're just going to try to work by, you know, the greatest expense will be the one mailing we had. I don't know if we'll have another mailing or not. Uh, we're going to try to get to you by text, by phone. But I also want to distribute these things. So here's the thing. On, I'm going to try to start with you in Bible study by giving you you know, kind of one theological thing, one statistic about the church, and one thing off the punch list, okay? So I've written up a little thing for you, but let me just shorten it for you, especially for newer people or people who have been through this before. Or frankly, for some of us who are around a while, you know, you get this, your automatic reaction can be, the church just wants my money. You know, when you're a young pastor and kind of frightened by this, it's kind of like, ugh, you know. But, you know, now I'm just kind of like, ah, your world's upside down. Just relax and, you know, try to get with it. 
Um, so I've written you a little thing about that, but if you understand this single thing, if you understand what we're going to do right now is the first point in your life, everything makes sense. If you don't get this, it'll never make sense. The simple thing is you don't own anything. So the, the notion that the church just wants my money is on the face of it false because you don't have any money, right? You don't have any stuff. You don't own anything. You're ever only purely a manager of anything that's in your hands. You don't own one thing. Even at church, when your kid gets baptized, pay attention, there are going to be twins baptized at 11 o'clock next week. If you're here for a baptism, the final prayer, the pastor says, Oh, Lord, now that this has become your child, right? You don't even own your kids. So if you understand that, then everything else sort of makes sense, okay? So let me just take you through this. I want to go through this. So you got two handouts. Pick the one up that says um, extraordinary on the top, okay? You got it or you need one? All right. So here we go. When a cap can gets announced, sometimes we hear the church just wants my money. But, but really, which one of these is true? The church just wants my money or I just want the church's money. See, right? And that depends on who the owner is. Is it true that the church just wants my money or is it true that I want the church's money, right? So you have to think this all the way through. To answer, try this. You and I don't really have any money or stuff or even life, right? We don't have anything. God owns everything because God loves us along with life. He gives us some of his stuff to manage. I gave you the parable of the talents there from Matthew 25. But the point is, of course, that God owns and we manage, and it's never opposite than that. What we are given comes with the understanding that we're free to use some portion of the gift for our own good. So if you read those verses at the end, the guy gives the talents to his servants, they come back, and he says, great job, enjoy it, right? Enter into my joy, which is you're still a guest, but you get to enjoy it. So if you manage well, you get to enjoy it. Furthermore, because God wants us to be like him, because God wants us to join him in a life that is divine, a life that is marked. Now think about the Holy Trinity. It's a life marked by selflessness, by community, by mercy, by hospitality, by joy, by generosity. So generous, in fact, that in a couple of weeks, two Sundays from today, he will give himself to you in flesh and blood, right? Then God wants us to pass on some of his stuff to others. So this is the whole notion of you get to play. God extends his kingdom through you. So that we don't flounder, I don't know how to do that, or skimp, I need more than this, or get hard-hearted, no soup for you, right? God picks the numbers for us. So 10% for the church, a bit more for the poor, and occasionally a pop for something extra. The tabernacle, or uh, famine relief in the New Testament, or you know this building, for example. Right? We keep, you keep the rest. So basically you have to reorient yourself. You don't say to yourself, I own things. You say, God owns everything and he lets me have you know, 85 or 90% of it to do with what I want. For the baptized, this is welcome. It's a word of blessing and joy and hope. And it's the gospel for you. Now I want to explain this in just a second. I want to try to take the edge off the finger pointing okay, and finger wagging. Because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, That means you and I can't add anything to what Jesus has done. The law is filled all the way to the brim. It's finished. It's kept. These numbers are ours, not as law, which you've got to do, right? So you won't, you actually, if you you pay close attention, you won't hear us say, you've got to give 10%. 
right? I'm not, we're not putting you under the law. This is what you get to do, and this is how, law, how, how life works out. Right now, here and now, we get to live this divine life of, here you go, concreating. So what God gives, he gives life, and you get to participate. When you have children, you become a creator, a concreator. You get to live in this community, the community of the Holy Trinity, the body of Christ, family, and love. The famous, my pocket is your pocket sermon. Do you, does anybody remember that? This is where I preached on love your neighbor as yourself. I probably should preach on it again. This is where, this is way over in the other building, love your neighbor as yourself. And I said, this should be tangible love. So I asked the ushers to come forward and everybody to take their car keys and drop them in. Do you remember this? And then I said, I had a beater car at the time, so this is great for me. I said, everybody, you drop your keys in, right? Do you remember this? And then we'd have it go around again. You could pull some keys out and you can drive home in whatever car you get, which would be to love my neighbors as yourself. Your Mercedes, I would look good in that car, right? See, because I can't tell the difference between my wallet and your wallet. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? You start to think about this. It starts to unsettle you in terms of gripping things too tightly, right? Apparently, you don't want to play this game, but, you know, we might come to it at some point. Let me get a few more miles on the Honda, and then we'll try it again, okay? So, uh, yeah, my pocket is your pocket. Your pocket is my pocket. Good stewardship, which means managing life and the stuff God has given us in a way that honors God and benefits others, that's the habit, right? So you just get, it's just like, this is like the people who come in and, like, write their check. Okay, I'm done. Thanks for the capital campaign. I'm done. I mean, you know what that's like? It's, you know, it starts, you know, two weeks ago, and that somebody says, yeah, I'm done now. Okay, well, thank you very much. Pray for you to win the lottery. Okay, so um, here's the thing, and this is the really important thing. When you try hard and you get it wrong, like you find that you kind of have, you know, like the Grinch, a heart that's a few sizes too small, your hands are just a bit tight, right? If you find out other things like you haven't managed your life well, you suddenly figure it out, but you're, you know, you're, you know, you're two houses and three cars and four vacations in, and it's going to take a while to make that all work out. See, okay, what you won't hear us say to you is, you know, by God, sell everything and give 10%. What we will say is, well, I mean, we got poor people here giving 10%. So kind of rearrange your life. And now here's the key. This is why it's the gospel. And the Lord will forgive all of that. It's like everything, every other good work you do. It's just like every other good work. It's like loving your kids. You're not perfect at it. God forgives it. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, not gossiping. You're not perfect at it, but God forgives it. In the same way, where you come up short, God forgives it. You see, this is kind of a glorious thing. The whole key is that you struggle toward it. So you, you're not going to hear a sermon here that says to everybody, come on, 10%, and we're going to check the books, and we're going to come and visit you. And, you know, some churches have you come in and show your W-2. Do you know this? Yeah, you've heard this before. And, you know, you can only vote in the voters' meeting if, if, you know, you can move the decimal point over one spot to the left and, you know, it's, you're, in the, you're in, the, in, the, in the black. It's not like that. The thing is that you're struggling toward it. So struggle toward it. Take a good look at your life. You're forgiven. Don't feel guilty, but struggle toward it. Now, the opposite is if you struggle against it, that's where you're kind of, you know, if you struggle against it, if you want to be like Adam and Eve, if you want to be a miser, if you want to test this thesis that you can pick a better number than God, pretty much what the whole Missouri Senate decides to do, 2.7. And so, you know, the Missouri Senate is collapsing, as I said last week, and I'm convinced of this. The church is going to collapse not from heresy, heresy but from miserliness. Why? 
because you can't pay pastors, so you don't have the Eucharist, so you don't have missionaries. You know, mission, you, missionaries, you know, missionaries in the Missouri Senate, we're real proud because we're sending out more missionaries than ever. But we're not supporting any of them. Missionaries have to, we, we say we're sending all these missionaries out, and it looks great on paper, but you know what? Missionaries have to raise their own funds. So we take guys who are good at going to other cultures and adapting and sharing the gospel, and we try to make fundraisers out of them. It's ludicrous. When you were a missionary 100 years ago or 150 years ago, your family would walk you down to the boat, and they would kiss you goodbye, and your last look was to look back at your family and your homeland and say to yourself, I'll never see either of them again. Right? That's what it was like. And people were committed to that. Because we're so miserly, we don't even support our missionaries anymore. It's horrible. Right? And God doesn't bless that. Right? And you make any, up any number you want, but whatever the numbers are, they are insufficient. And that's the strongest argument in a pragmatic way. People, churches that only give 1% or 2 or 3%, you just can't have a good church. And when you go to churches, it's always about, we can't get the lights on, the roof is leaking, we can't pay our bills, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's our fault if we're not, if we're struggling against it. If you're struggling toward it, God bless you. If you're struggling against it, make sense? This is, this is just like every other thing, right? If you covet, struggle against it. If you don't tell the truth, struggle against it. If you swear all the time, struggle against it. If you don't come to church, struggle against it. And God forgives it. While you're, while you're consonant with God, trying to do what God wants, you're completely under his mercy. He understands and he'll try to pull you along and bump and nudge. But when you are in rebellion against it, when you say, for example, the church just wants my money, you're very close to being on your own. You're just very close to being on your own. Because it's as if God can have parts of my life, but he can't have other parts of my life. He can have the parts I'm comfortable with, but not the other parts. It's dangerous stuff. So, you know, if you insist on being God and that, you know, you can do it better, pff, reap what you sow, right? So, I sort of given this. One day you're going to wake up and not have a pastor, a Eucharist, a community, a building, a seminary, missionaries, or a denomination, right? All around us, the church is collapsing. Why? Because it's all harried and nobody can do their work and pay attention. And, and our professors don't write books because they teach double loads. And so we can't remember what we're... It just, it's, it all collapses in on itself, right? But let's not. And as I've said so often to you, this is a wonderful space. And it's a church I always wanted to belong to. And I love you. And later, I'll give you the stat on what the giving looks like in a couple of weeks. I'm trying to figure out the best way to make it really simple. But it's fat in the middle where it should be fat, which means there's just a bunch of faithfulness here. And that's really good. So you get to have, you know, because you're faithful, but you get to have a wonderful place. But also we got to remember and always try to do good. And at some point when we extract ourselves from caring for the building and paying off a mortgage, then, then the fun really starts. I hope I live to see it. But the fun will really start when you can say, have a capital campaign and say, everything looks pretty good around here. I'm glad we got rid of that skanky green carpet in the study. And... Um, <laughs> Now we can just, you know, have a, we can decide, you know, a couple of places where we'll send them a million bucks each. That should be fun, right? So just kind of think about that. So let's enjoy God's gifts for the reasons they're given, right? He owns and you manage, right? Turn the page. So we live like God lives, always in the joy of giving. God is the eternal giver. So in the image of God, you're the eternal giver, right? You always give. 
tangibly in the Eucharist, stuff, tangible mercy, tithing, alms, love expressed, a love that incarnates through us. Touch good things, and good takes incarnation. Touch generosity, and through you it's good. And it really lies within our grasp. And in some way, you know, this is the last one of these, at least, you know, that I can see for a while that's focused on us, I hope. You know, I hope it just, um, I hope at the end of this we just sort of say, okay, that part of our life together is done. Let's try to think about another way to live together. It should be fabulous. I mean, you know, it should be, it should be wonderful. Just kind of think about that. It makes sense? So the two things I want you to take away are, one, you never own anything. God owns everything. You just manage it. And two, as long as you're struggling along with him, it's like every other place you struggle. God forgives you and prompts you and sends his Holy Spirit, and here we go. And if you, but if you, if you make a stand against it, you're on your own. can't help you, right? It just can't. I mean, it just can't help you. Make sense? All right. So maybe this is the first time you've heard it, or maybe you've heard it before, but... Um, just it's good to always remember this and kind of absorb it. Just kind of try to take it in as you think about your life. You know, you live in the gospel and what that means. You, you all good? All right, second thing. This is an interesting thing, right? So we always, every catechumen at Christ Scripture Prayer and at the center of things is the liturgy. So here you go. You have to tell me whether you could, now not everybody, it's so interesting, you know, Pastor Bukes and, and Stephen Nyquist is good with this visual representation of stuff. They send me things. And I'm the, I'm the guinea pig, right? So it's whether I look at it, can I, the math geniuses, you know, it's whether what they send me, I can understand it, so, right? So they'll send it, how about this? I'm like, oh, I can't quite, oh, ah, go in the wrong direction, it's the wrong color, I can't, okay. So if you can figure this out, here's what it says. On the bottom, 44.5% of people at St. John of active families come to church every week. That's a startling number, okay? 57% come every other week, and 65% come once a month, right? Now, you might think to yourself, since the third commandment says come every week, you know, then even if you factor down for people traveling and stuff, but look down below. The average in America is 18%. What's interesting, when they have polls and they ask people, do you go to church, 36% of people say they go to church. But if you actually go to churches and look at their books, only 18% go. So half the people who say they're going to church are lying about not going to church. <laughs> right? So it's just kind of interesting how it works. Anyway, that is a, that is a, as John Kleinig, you know, John Kleinig was here once, and he, he was here for a morning Eucharist. And um, he'd been here on Sunday, and then he came during the week. And it was like it always is. You know, it's 30 or 40, 50 people come to the Eucharist. And John, as we were walking out, turned to him and he said, as long as you have the daily Eucharist here, this place will always flourish. And it's sort of an interesting observation from somebody from outside, from another place where it's much harder to be Christian in Australia, and such things are kind of unheard of. But that you come, you know, that 40 or 50 or 60 percent of people would come to church, it's a startling number, and it, and it feeds on itself, okay? Now, just for you who are statistically inclined, um, or if you care about math, there's 978 people in the congregation, active people in the congregation. Active means they've been to church in the last couple of years. Uh, there are, we count, um, about 470 active families. When you turn 18, Olivia, you're your own family unit. 
You have to rely on your mom anymore. Forget about that. Don't borrow money from her anymore. Don't use her car. Don't watch her cable. HBO, get your own. Netflix, stop it, okay? You are on your own, girl. Independent. We, that's the reason we love you, okay? So, um, you know, and there are some, you know, there's always some people in transition moving around. But in general, that's kind of how the congregation breaks down. Does that make sense to you? Can you read that? Does it make sense? So congratulations. That's a very nice little titty bit about St. John. You still okay? Then the last thing, we sort of told you to keep two numbers in mind, three and a half million for the mortgage, two million for a punch list. So you would say to yourself, if you're a reasonable person, what's on the punch list? Okay, so I, I'm going to try to give you one thing from the punch list every week. Um, hopefully, we're giving you, you know, we're going to um, under-promise and over-deliver here. So one of the things that needs to be fixed is the sound. Even today, I can't hear myself. I wonder if you can hear me. I'm trying to figure out. Sometimes that sudden. So it's probably about $150,000 to finish the sound system. When we moved in, a lot of things we just, it was like the money was out, we need to move in, right? But there are a lot of things that just need to be fixed around. If you did Christmas sharing yesterday or the day before, you must be completely sympathetic to the fact that the doors need to be fixed, right? Right? If you used them, you know. In fact, I went out on, we were here Friday, we went out. I just, I always purposely go out those doors and rattle them all. And one of the six was open. And I'm sure people were, it was pulled, locked, but not, you know, in place, right? And unless you do it every day, you don't know. So anyway, one thing that needs to be fixed, and you can see what's there. It needs speakers. It needs a mixing bit. It needs a touch screen. And the other thing that we need to do, if you go any place where there's acoustics, Valpo, St. Olaf, any place else, I know this will sound weird, but we need to put some panels up to at some point deaden the sound so that the sound doesn't bounce all around. And there's people who come in and computer model that, and then they finish it so it looks like, you know, the rest of the, rest of the sanctuary and all that, okay? Questions about that? So at some point, I'm going to try to make that add up to $2 million, but at least to kind of get you started so you know what's going on. Okay, everybody? You still okay? Questions about anything? So you who have been around for a little bit, I'm going to try to go shorter than this each week. It was kind of a long thing, but I want to try to get on the right. I'm going to try to go shorter on this because I don't want to have every Bible study be about stewardship from here to Easter. In fact, what I, just, all I'm trying to do is deliver information to you. I'll probably send you some form of this by email, too. You can have it, or you can read it, or you can look at it again, or if you've heard it already, okay. But, so there's you know, 100 of you here today, and, you know, but there's 470 people, family units, that we'd like to have hear this so that everybody gets on the same page. So anyway, I hope, especially for you who have been here before, you just settle in and say, yeah, this is just the way that we do business. Here we go. It's all fine. And for you who are new, if you have questions about it, um, you should really see one of the pastors. I'd gladly take time to talk with you. In fact, I've been with families talking about this most every day for the past couple of weeks, different families who have questions or want to give or want to talk about something. Okay. Um, you know, it's, uh, that's a fabulous opportunity just to get to know people. But this is just the way that life works, Right. And churches normally aren't good at talking about it. We're actually pretty good about talking about it. We're pretty good at doing it. And this is kind of a break point where the world kind of opens up. You know, people my age and older, unless, unless something really spectacular happens, you may not see it. You know, this may be five or ten years out when the congregation is getting together and saying, where, we can, where can we send a couple of million bucks? But you never know. But you who are younger, one of the reasons you have to get it is because you have to figure out how to manage it going forward. I'll, later I'll show you, at some point I'll show you the statistics. People here 
the older, the joy group level people are very faithful people, and they have been for a very long time. But they're not going to live forever. I'm not going to live forever. People who have been generous, you know, who you know, are above 55 or 60, I mean, they, they're running out of their earning years. And um, so, you, you know, it's going, to be, it's going to be on you, right? If you're 30 or you're 40, it's going to be on you. And you're going to have to work at this because it, it needs to become a habit. It needs to be a way of life. It needs to be happy. The Craig's, what the Craig's wrote this morning, it was beautiful, right? Because that is the maturity of people who say, not only they get it, they execute it, right? And they can say to all of you, with happiness, right? And without apprehension, this is the way life should work. It's so nice. So anyway, that's a little, you know, a little longer than I want to go, but I just, uh, we have to get off to a good start. And I don't have many opportunities because we're going on a zero budget. So that means everything has to be done nose to nose or by uh, digitally. So we don't even want to spend a lot of time mailing things. Make sense? Questions, anybody? Y'all okay? All right, here we go. Open your Bible up to, we've got to get back to Jesus. Because he was with that woman at the well, and they've been standing there for weeks now. And uh, we really should take a look and see how that works out for him, right? So John 4 is where you're going, right? So I just kind of want to boost you through this story. But I'm going to tell you the punchline in case we don't get to the punchline. Sometimes that happens with me. I'm going, to, I'm, going to tell you the, I'm going to tell you what the answer is, and then at the end, you know. So here's where we're going. Look, we've lost our privileged position. The world is a rough place. People don't know which way to turn, but Christianity has been said not to be the answer. Now, what is so interesting over the past month or so is how people who have... So there have been all these people who have um, been cast out, right? But now people are starting to say, how do we think about goodness? How do we think about relationships? How do we think about the world? You know, this is a, in jobs, in politics, in sex, in all kinds of things. People are saying, how do, we, how do we rethink that? In fact, I think the New Yorker yesterday, the New York Times, the front page story was, can, can, we, can we still have relationships? It's so interesting, right? So all these questions that the church has answered for 2,000 or 4,000 years extraordinarily well because the world now doesn't even know its basic Bible stories. They have no... They're trying to rediscover the things that all of you take for granted. It's just so interesting. Now, we've been watching, in fact, um, Pastor, Pastor Bukes read this, and I think he did this with Friday Women's Bible Study. He read this article about men and women written by a young woman, and he, I don't want to go more than that because, you know, I don't, this is a private conversation I don't want to expose more. In any case, he read this article, he was struck by the tone, and he seemed to think there was some certainty in this woman, and he, so he wrote her offline. Now, this is a well-regarded um, correspondent, journalist. He wrote her offline and said, he basically said, what's up? There's more to your story. And she wrote him back and said, yeah, there is. I'm Catholic, and I'm trying to find a way to fit what I believe back into the conversation. Right? Isn't that great? Did he do this on Friday with you, Women's Bible Study? Anybody there? He may. Did he do it? He may. He may. Still. This is a kind of, so, I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to fit ourselves back into the conversation. 
This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to fit himself back into the conversation. Look, this is how the story goes. When you go to the well, you get everything. The well is where you find life. The well is where you find water. The well is where you find your wife, right? So your community, your family. The well is where you relax in the heat, you know, and recover from the heat of the day. The well is where you find out who you are, right? Wells in scripture, this is what happens there. And they don't move around. There's water here and there's not water over there. I can remember being in Israel and coming down on the west side of the, uh, you know, it's just arid coming down on the Jordan River. This is, I spent a summer in Israel once um, studying and hiking around and, and um, you know, we came down, cleared down near Jericho. Everything is just parched. And then, like, you wind up up this wadi and around the corner, and suddenly there's a waterfall. And they're, they're like, this is the waterfall where David would have hid from Saul because there's never been another waterfall in this area. You can tell from the way the geography is and the records that are given. You're kind of thinking, wow, right? This is how you find your way. Well, wells are the same thing. When she says... You know, Jacob gave us this well. You're like, yeah, okay, that, that makes sense because there's water and then there's not water. And in a parched place without water, right? Water is everything. So when Jesus comes to her and says, I'm living water, he's kind of opening up the whole world. The punchline anyway is going to be very much like this journalist. The punchline is Jesus is everything, right? You watch for it as we read. Jesus is water. Jesus is truth. Jesus is body. Jesus is temple. Jesus is husband, Jesus' life, Jesus' enjoyment, all of that stuff is going to happen in this story. And for you, when you engage people who have, I mean, do you know how, what I said to you for the first 30 minutes, do you know how stupid that sounds to people who aren't in the church, right? You couldn't even have that conversation. But you can have some conversation with people who say, I worship over here and you worship over there, so who's right? Right? Well, at some point, you pay your money and you take your choice. Right? Every person has to decide for themselves. Every man, you know, says his, every person says his own prayers, has his own beliefs, and gets his chance to stand before God. You know, you bet on something. And even when you bet on nothing, you bet on something. You bet that when you draw your last breath, that is the end. You know, the Christian gambit is very different that your life starts and it never ends. And there's a slight interruption where we drop your corpse in a casket and come back and say what a nice boy you were, Uh, right? But, But, you know, that is not the end and things will be put back together. So everything that happens now is extraordinarily important. So think about that as we sort of read through this, right? So John 4, let's see how much we can um, figure this out. All right, um... Jesus was baptizing, but he wasn't baptizing himself. His disciples were baptizing. There was a lot. So John 4, 7. Um, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Right? Ah, shoot. I got to go back a couple of verses because I got to get the time. He came to a city of Samaria. This is um, verse 3. Jesus came to a city in Samaria. So normally Jews would walk around Samaria. Occasionally they'd walk through. Jesus intentionally walks through because he's going to be Jesus for everybody. He um, 
had to pass through. Had to pass through means he had to pass through because his heavenly father wants him to pass through, not because there's no other way. You could just, you know, go across the Jordan, which runs about 18 inches deep there, and, you know, you just wander across. There's several places. You, you, who, you who went to Israel, you know, this is, this is that area down by where they said Jesus was baptized. I mean, come on, it's only 18 or 20 feet across, and maybe it's only a couple of feet deep. They dug it out for you so you could go under and play baptism. But, you know, the, the, you know most places it's not very deep right there. So Jesus has to go through because his heavenly Father wants him to go through. Um, he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was by his journey, so hot, 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 right? You get up in the morning, you get up at dawn or while it's still dark, you have a little bit to eat, and you do your work because by 11 o'clock noon, it's going to be 100 or 110 degrees, maybe 120 if it gets really, really hot, where it's there, and you're exhausted. And the thing is, you can have heat stroke so fast. It's like those things where you don't sweat because the sweat it goes off you so quickly, you don't even realize you're sweating, and then suddenly, boom, right? So the day is kind of over by 10 or 11 until eve. So you rest in the middle of the day, and then you go out again in the evening. So now you think back to Nicodemus. Why does he come in the evening? Because it's cool again, and people can move around and not be taxed. So Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was the sixth hour, noonish. This is weird, right? It's, now, if she, now, it says that he sat down at, at noon, right? So it's hot. And um, when he sits down at the well, there's nobody drawing water at noon. It's too much work. That would have been done already. So for anybody to, to do more than just rest by the well is a weirdness, okay? Now, doesn't it, people argue about whether she's drawing water at noon because she's a Samaritan, kind of an outcast, and has had six husbands. You can make a plausible story for that. It doesn't really matter too much. What does matter is this is weird, and it's weird for a lot of reasons. Even if she's drawn water at one, two, or three, it's still hot, and it's abnormal. This is a strange situation. It's strange for a bunch of reasons. It's strange for a, man, a woman to talk to a man unchaperoned. It's strange to be at the well in the middle of the day. It's strange for a, Samar- a Samaritan and a Jew to talk to each other. And it's strange that she, he starts by saying to her, give me water, and eight verses later, she says to him, give me water, right? So you have to think it's, of course, splashy water, but then there's more things going on here. This is a strange reversal, right? She needs a husband. He is a husband to his church, right? So all the things that are going on behind this, there was a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. That's just, that's just very strange, His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So to be alone with a woman is weird. To talk to a woman is weird. To talk to a Samaritan is weird. Everything is weird here. The Samaritan woman said to him, and she sees it, Hey, how come you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? People walk by and the Samaritan, they, they, yeah, the Samaritan comes and it's so startling that the Samaritan would help a Jew even when he's bleeding to death. Jesus answered her, 
if you knew the gift of God, so if you knew that God was a giver God, right, so everything I said in the first half hour, if you knew that God lived to give gifts, if you knew who it is that is talking to you, so if you knew who I was, if you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Okay, technical term. In the Didache, which was a manual for pastors written probably somewhere between 70 and 120-ish. Some people stretched out to 150, but let's just say in there somewhere, okay? It's one of the earliest manuals for pastors. So if Jesus dies 35-ish, 30, 30, right? And this gets written 25 or 30 or 50, even 50 years. There is the rubric for pastors. When you baptize, if you can, baptize in, ding, 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 living water. Right. So they would have heard this from Jesus. But living water means water that's moving. Right? So baptize in the Jordan River. where the mod- Of course you can be baptized in a cistern. And some of you, again, who have crawled around in the cisterns, if you went through Hezekiah's Tunnel when you were in Jerusalem, you know, these places where they, they sort of gather any water. And, buy, you know, when, when your choice is between water in a cistern that has, like, green muck on the top of it and it's a little bit dirty, but it's, at least it's water, what would happen is they would, they would dig a hole and they'd plaster the inside and then they'd kind of let everything run down at, like, the drain in your basement, right, or the drain in your bathtub. So there would be these big cisterns, right? You know, not best, but better than dying of heat exhaustion, better than dying of thirst. But a well, you see, that's constantly replenished. You take water out and there's still water the next day. That's good. And even better is a spring that bubbles up. It moves. So this is all behind the fact that the water moves in our font, right? It says, do you have to baptize in living water? No, you don't have to. Is it a good reminder? Yeah, why? Why, Mr. Scheidt? Because the Spirit is there, right? Wayne Scheidt's last words to me before I went in this morning. Okay, let's get some of the Holy Spirit. I love Wayne Scheidt, right? So, I mean, it's just like, you know, let's go. Let's, you know, that's what it is. The Spirit is bubbling in the water. That's what's going on there, right? So, um, she, she, but she's kind of thinking to herself, it's hot and, you know, nobody helps me and I have to draw in, in the middle of the day. And um, if you could just, you know, this is like having indoor plumbing. You know, that's kind of what she's thinking about, right? Convenience and Perhaps quality, but, or quantity, but certainly not the quality that Jesus is talking about. The woman said to him, hey, this is verse 11. I'm sorry, one, one verse up. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, that God likes to give good gifts, and who's talking to you, um, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, this is verse 11, hey, you got nothing to draw with, right? Well, it's deep. You don't have a, you know, you don't have, a, a, it, would have it would have been likely a, a clay jar, right? You've seen them a zillion times in museums. You tie a rope on the top, you drop it down, you pull it up. And, um, but you've got nothing. And, you know, you know how this is. You've all been where you look down to the well. And even though the sign said you shouldn't do it, yeah, you dropped a penny in because you wanted to see how far down it was, right? I know you did. I know you. So, um, sploosh, right? She says, hey, you drop a penny down here. You've got nothing to draw with. This well's deep. Where do you get that living water, right? And so now here's the thing. This is what this would be the next step in the conversation with the journalists. This would be the next step in the conversation with your non-believing friends. This would be the next step 
in the conversation with people who don't know about Christianity. This is why it's so important for you to live as a Christian in the image of Jesus because people at some point will say, I want what you got, right? And even better is, where did you get what you got? Right? And now you're all the way back to if you knew the gift of God, if you knew God was a giver, right? And you're well catechized, you're well trained. You, you should be able to say, oh, I got that because Jesus touched me. Where did Jesus touch me? He touched me at baptism. He touched me at the Eucharist. He touched me when he talked to me. He touched me when he loved me. He touched me through other people. Right? This isn't hard. You have to see the world now as opportunity. It might be painful. It's not easy to be made fun of or discounted. Um, it's not, it's not um, great to have genocide in the world, and still the world can't bring itself to say things like the Iraqi Christians were part of a genocide. It's remarkable, right? You ask yourself how many tens of thousands. Other people count as genocide, just not Christians, right? This is a strange thing. It's like people can't do math because of their biases. Numbers just don't add up. Okay, all that said, when people say to you, where did you get that? You see, that's the question. She says to Jesus, where did you get that? So where did you get the fact that your family is happy? Like, Where did you get the fact that you can tie to the church? Where did you get the fact that people love you, that you have a community? I mean, when I, it's startling when new people talk to me. The primary thing that people talk about is how kind you are when they walk through the door. Right? And I, you know, some days I can hardly believe it. I'm like, you know, are you going to be able to hold on to this? Right? Do you understand what a remarkable thing it is to have all of you in this room? I mean, do you understand what it's like when you're downstairs and everybody is happy and no kids are crying? You know, my, my rule for the kids, no stitches, no crying. Most weeks in force, right? <laughs> I mean, when you look at all those kids kind of playing indiscriminately, and I kind of watch to see if kids are being left out in different ways. But, you know, you can, and you should look around for that, too, because you never want any family left out. You want any person left out. You want any kid left out, especially. And you don't want big kids beating up on little kids or some kids making fun of other kids. Mostly, and I don't get as much time with them as you do, but when you look at that, you should cherish that. That's the sort of thing that has people say what this woman says to Jesus. How did you get that? Where do you get that? How did this happen? Right? And part of the reason... You all need to say your prayers and be generous and come to Bible study and touch the Eucharist and get your kids baptized because if you don't do this, it will go away. Everything I said to you in the first half hour could be said about prayer. It could all be said about coming to church. It could all be said about studying your scriptures. It could all be said about being immersed. Just don't tend one of them and you'll lose everything that undergirds what happens here. This is why it's a rhythm. The life is a rhythm. Christ's scripture prayer the Eucharist and the liturgy, tithing and alms, being merciful. You take one of those away, or two, or three, and you become like every other dying, failing church in the whole world. Don't do that, right? And this is a lesson that needs to be retaught again and again and again, because we are, one of the, one of the troubles of, by nature, being sinful is that we're forgetful, and when we're forgetful, we go with our own hearts, and going with our own hearts as if we own the world, we are masters, we are kings, is a thing that will destroy us quicker than anything else. Okay? i got to go. Come back next week. We'll go one more time. 
And then um, we're going to go, then it's Christmas, and, you know, all bets are off, okay? And then we'll come back in mid-January. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you soon.